Early diagnosis and treatment are the keys to surviving colon cancer, and there are many screening options, including colonoscopies. And joining me today to explain the various screening options and take us through the entire process is Dr. Michael DeSimone. He's a gastroenterologist with Concord Gastroenterology Associates. This is the HealthWorks Here podcast from Emerson Hospital. I'm Scott Webb. So, Doctor, thanks so much for being on. Today we're talking about colon cancer screenings, and I'm 52, so this is definitely something that I've been through. So let's just start here. Why do we screen for some cancers and not others? I think before we delve into the specifics of uh, screening for colon cancer and talk more about colonoscopy in particular, I think it's helpful to define what screening means. And screening means that we're taking patients without symptoms who are at risk of getting a disease, and we're trying to identify either an early state of the disease that's more treatable or ideally uh, a precursor state that could be identified and treated or cured before it ever has the chance to develop into something like cancer. I think it's important then to distinguish that from testing for symptoms. If patients have symptoms that they're concerning could be related to cancer or you know, colon cancer in particular, people are having blood in their stool or people are having weight loss that's unexplained, that's something you want to talk to your doctor about right away, and you do not want to wait until it's time to be screened. In general, screening programs are thought about at a population level. They're a, a public health or a population health activity. And so in general, we're looking for diseases that on a population level cause a lot of harm, diseases that are fairly common and potentially deadly. A lot of types of cancers fall into that category. Colon cancer is a really good example it's a very common cancer, unfortunately. The American Cancer Society estimates that there'll be about 150,000 new cases of colon and rectal cancer this year and about 50,000 deaths from the disease. It's the third most common cause of cancer in men and also in women. In men, it's the third most common behind lung and prostate cancer. And in women, it falls behind lung and breast cancer, but a very common cause of cancer and of cancer death in both men and women. The lifetime risk of developing colon cancer for an American man or woman is about four, a little over 4%. So that means about one out of every 25 Americans will be diagnosed with colon cancer at some point in their lives. So that makes it a pretty serious condition. There's a lot of potential harm and therefore a lot of benefit to trying to prevent it. And then in terms of what makes colon cancer a good disease to screen for, it does have that sort of precursor state that we can identify and treat. And that precancerous precursor state is what's called a polyp. I feel like a lot of people have probably heard the term polyp. And polyp is really, it's a pretty nonspecific term. It really just means a little growth. The types of polyps we're interested in are also called adenomas. And that sort of refers to that change that's happening inside them that makes them different from a little bump of normal tissue, but also different from a colon cancer. And they're in that in-between state and they can literally be plucked out, removed, and kept from ever growing into something more serious like colon cancer. Yeah, we're going to talk about colonoscopy specifically here in a minute because that's probably the most common, uh, certainly the most well-known to people like me, means of screening for colon cancer. But generally, what are the options available to us besides colonoscopy, I guess? Colonoscopy is a very common approach. It's a great approach. I'm personally a little bit biased because I, I do colonoscopies for a living, but there are other good ways. I think for some patients for whom colonoscopy is not a good option, there are other ways to screen for colon cancer. And I think the most important thing is that people are getting some form of screening for this disease. And so if you're not going to take the, the colonoscopy approach, the other approaches generally involve stool testing, and, and really it's a matter of examining the stool either for microscopic amounts of blood, 
since colon cancers tend to bleed a little bit, they do leave often traces of blood in the stool, and, and very frequently those are traces that are not detectable to the naked eye, even if we're looking. But we do have laboratory tests that can detect tiny traces of blood. And then there are some other tests that are essentially looking for other sort of chemical clues, other things that a cancer might leave behind that could be detected in the stool. Those are generally the approaches. There's the old-fashioned stool card, which is really just like a a kit, basically, that your doctor would send you home with for the means to collect a little bit of your stool and put it on a card, bring it to the lab, and they analyze it. And then the the newer version of that stool test is uh, something called a ColoGuard, and that's really uh, more of a all in one package. You get a, a kit mailed to you. You essentially go into the kit uh, and then you seal it up and you send it back to the company and they do the analysis looking for those sort of molecular hints to the presence of a colon cancer. If those tests come back positive, then you proceed to a diagnostic colonoscopy. We go and we take a look to see if there's a cancer or potentially some other type of uh, precancerous growth that could be addressed uh, with a colonoscopy and, uh, and get you the final answer from there. Yeah, and I'm guessing uh, that for you specifically and probably many gastroenterologists, uh, colonoscopy is really the gold standard, despite the fact that there are other options for people who either can't or don't want to do colonoscopies. So why choose colonoscopy over the other methods? I think there are a couple of good reasons. Colonoscopy has a few advantages. Number one, ultimately, it is the definitive test. So if you have one of those other tests and it comes back positive, ultimately you're going to get a colonoscopy. So this is a way of cutting to the chase. You're getting the screening test and the you know, diagnostic test all in one. The second, and I think probably the most important reason, is that colonoscopy in some patients is not just a screening test. It is a treatment. It is cancer prevention. When we go in and we identify these precancerous lesions, we remove them. And we therefore prevent the cancer from ever developing. So we're not waiting to identify an early cancer based on a stool test. We're going in and removing the lesions before they ever get the chance to turn into colon cancer. Now, if it turns out that on your first exam or on a subsequent exam, you do have an early cancer, that's fine. We would identify that just as well or probably a little bit better than the stool test. But the added benefit is that we can potentially prevent colon cancer. And I think that's a really important distinction. A good screening test, it might just as well be a preventative test or it might be an early detection. Those are both fine approaches. And the difference in colon cancer survival, the likelihood that you'll have a long and healthy life where you do not die of colon cancer, it may be equivalent between the the stool test and the colonoscopy. But in in my opinion, to make my own sort of personal choice or to give guidance to my patients who ask me to help them make a choice or family members even who ask me to help them make a choice, if I had the decision between surviving colon cancer, getting colon cancer, having it detected, thank goodness, early in a state where it can be treated and, and ideally cured, and I therefore, you know, then go on to live a good long life and not die of colon cancer, that's a great outcome. But I would choose never getting the colon cancer in the first place, having the polyps removed, and not having to go through the difficult stage of being diagnosed with cancer. It's not fun. Even if it's an early cancer and even if it can be cured, it's never easy to tell someone they have colon cancer, and obviously it's even less easy to hear it. So if we can skip that component of a good, long, healthy life of not dying of colon cancer, I would choose to skip it, and the best way to do that would be through colonoscopy. 
Yeah, I'm with you. But as you say, it is a choice and there are other methods. And I think the takeaway here is that we want people to do something. Don't do nothing. I want to talk to you now about medical history and family history and what role that might play in when we get screened, how we get screened, what's the best screening strategy for people who do have a medical or family history of colon cancer. There are some obvious ones, uh, some obvious elements of personal or family history, and there are some less obvious ones. So let's try to cover both. I think the pretty obvious ones are, and if you have some you know, serious medical conditions, serious heart disease, serious lung disease, past issues with anesthesia, and getting a procedure-based screening method is not ideal for you or is riskier for you than it might be for the average citizen, then by all means, that would steer you toward a stool test, and that's a great approach. Uh, other situations that might you know, make it preferable uh, or more preferable for you to go the colonoscopy route, if you have a personal history of colon polyps or of colon cancer, you really want to be sticking to the best screening or surveillance methodology available, and that would be colonoscopy. In terms of family history, really any family history, if you look at these you know, huge studies that, that have been done, really any family history will increase your risk of having polyps and, and sort of therefore increase your risk of having colon cancer. But the most important ones, the ones that really move the needle in terms of whether you'd be screened more aggressively or differently than someone else, is having a, a first-degree relative, which means a parent, a sibling, or a child with colon cancer. In those cases, you would start screening at an earlier age, and you would want to be screened more frequently. And again, you would really want to stick to the best method available uh, and probably have your screening done by colonoscopy. If you have other people in your family, an uncle, a cousin, a grandparent, particularly if there are multiple members, that is noteworthy. And if it were me, it would absolutely boost my desire, my enthusiasm to get myself screened and be extra cautious. But thankfully, it doesn't require that you have additional screening or screening starting at an earlier age. It just means that you, you know, should have that extra degree of vigilance of knowing that you have some increased risk hiding in those genes. And assuming that our medical history or family history doesn't indicate being screened at an earlier age, when should the typical person begin getting screened for colon cancer? And then how often will they need to be screened? So that's an interesting question. And the answer is actually changing right at this very moment. For a long time, we've been saying that people should start their screening at age 50 either with colonoscopy or with a stool-based method. But in 2018, the American Cancer Society, based on some new evidence showing increased risk for slightly younger folks, revised their recommendation and started recommending that people begin average risk screening at age 45. Obviously, there are a lot of medical societies and a lot of organizations that are dedicated to the mission of giving good guidance to physicians, including how and when we should screen patients for diseases like colon cancer. So the American Cancer Society doesn't stand alone and doesn't make the, the worldwide rule. But uh, interestingly, they were the first ones to make this revision and already another you know, pretty large, pretty important organization, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, has followed suit and also revised their guideline. That's a bigger organization. They make recommendations about many different conditions, not just cancer, not just colon cancer. And their recommendations are uh, weighty, I would say. And I would guess that now that they have fallen in line behind the American Cancer Society with this updated recommendation to start screening at 45, we're going to start seeing that, I think, very likely being the standard. I think we're going to start seeing Insurance companies start to cover colonoscopies or other colon cancer screening tests starting at age 45, 
And I think we're going to really start to see doctors on the front lines, primary care doctors and gastroenterologists, encouraging their patients to start screening at that earlier age. In terms of frequency, again, that really depends on your risk level. But if you're an average risk person, a colonoscopy is done every 10 years. I think it's worth noting that assumes that you have a screening exam. Once you have polyps or you're diagnosed with cancer, those recommendations change. You really come out of the screening pool and you jump into what we call the surveillance pool. And those surveillance exams are done at different intervals depending on your history. If you had cancer, it's one set of guidelines. If you had uh, a lot of polyps, it's a different set of guidelines. If you had one polyp, it might be less extreme, but slightly more frequent set of exams. The other tests like Cologuard and the other stool tests, so the Cologuard is recommended every three years. It's fairly new. I think the, the evidence is probably still being collected on identifying exactly what the right interval is, but currently the recommendation is to have that done every three years if that's your screening method. And then the old-fashioned stool card, it's called the FIT test, that is done every year. So that's, again, in my opinion, another advantage of colonoscopy is that if it goes well, if that's all you need is a screening exam, is a screening test, then the colonoscopy only needs to be done every 10 years as opposed to having to think about it again and again either year after year or every third year. Now, if you have that higher risk based on your family history, you really should start screening at an earlier age. So if you had a first-degree relative with colon cancer, meaning a parent, sibling, or child with colon cancer, or if you had a parent, sibling, or child who had what we call an advanced polyp, meaning it was very big, or it was farther along the pathway toward turning into colon cancer, then you're treated as higher risk, those patients are advised to start screening at age 40 and to have an exam every five years. If that diagnosis in your family member happened at a very young age, let's say your father was diagnosed with colon cancer at age 45, then the recommendation is actually that you start your exams 10 years earlier than the age at which the family member was diagnosed. And so if the family member was diagnosed at 45, you would want to start not at 40, but at 35. If you had the very rare set of circumstances where a family member had colon cancer at 38, then you want to start your colonoscopies at 28 and have them every five years from there on after. The polyp piece that I started mentioning, that's a trickier one. A lot of people, I think, would have a hard time knowing, especially if they come from a big family. Let, let, let me get everybody's colonoscopy reports. We'll bring them to the next Sunday dinner. But I think it's incumbent upon the doctors, you know, and I know I make a huge effort if I diagnose an advanced, one of those advanced type of polyps, a very large polyp or a polyp that's undergone more changes along the pathway to cancer, to let that person know, hey, this increases the risk of your family members, you really want to let them know that they should tell their doctor it's essentially equivalent to your having been diagnosed with colon cancer. Their doctor should treat them as though they have a first-degree relative who has been diagnosed with colon cancer, even though you haven't, thank goodness. So that's tough. I don't necessarily expect patients. I do ask, but most patients will say, gee, I don't know. I know they had polyps, but that's about as far as we've gotten. That's an area of improvement or an area of effort for the gastroenterology community to really educate our patients. Here's something that not only increases your risk, here's what we're going to do for you. You really want to communicate this to your family members. It increases their risk too. And obviously everybody wants to take care of their family. Lastly, as we wrap up here today, doctor, when it's time for my first colonoscopy, what should I expect? That's a great question. I feel like it's something we don't talk about very much, and maybe people get snippets of their friends or their family members' experience, but let me just walk you through it. Essentially, we book the procedure. 
you'd get uh, well in advance, probably a few days or really most, in most cases a few weeks in advance. Here are your instructions. Here's what you should plan to do. A few days before the exam, there are some diet changes. In general, we try to avoid things that tend to stick out uh, or, or stick around in the GI tract. So things like nuts and seeds, high fiber foods that aren't easily digested tend to spend a little more time moving through the system. And so they can get in the way of our view as you've had them close to the time of your exam. So we make those changes a few days in advance. The day before the test, you then go to a strictly a clear liquid diet. So that's maybe things like, of course, water, black tea, black coffee, broth, jello, things like that. And then the night before the exam, you would start the prep. That's the piece that probably a lot of people have heard about in terms of you know thinking about what's going to happen before their colonoscopy. It's really a sort of a bowel cleanse. You're taking usually a, a larger volume or a good amount of, of a laxative. Interestingly, I think this is probably the part that uh, a lot of people are, are maybe most concerned about or that might cause people to uh, second-guess their decision to have a colonoscopy. I will say, particularly if those fears come from having heard about it from family members, or particularly if those family members are older and have had colonoscopies in the past. Colonoscopy preps have have come a long way. There are definitely some improvements in recent years, and there are some options for colonoscopy preps that are a smaller volume, less, less fluid to drink, that don't taste quite as bad, that are a little easier to tolerate. There's actually even a pill form now that just came out uh, within the last few months, so you could even just take a bunch of pills. The effect of all of them is the same. You still have to go through the experience of emptying everything out. If we can make it a little more comfortable, we're always very excited to do that. So you do the, the, that prep piece, that clean out, typically the night before, and then often you'll do maybe half the night before and half the morning of. And that gives us the best view. And then a few hours or maybe an hour before the actual test, you come in. You have to have a ride because you're going to get anesthesia. So you and your ride would come in. These days, in the midst of uh, the COVID pandemic, uh, your ride has to sit outside and, and wait in the car or go home and come back for you. We don't, we don't allow people to come inside so we can keep as few people in contact with one another as possible for COVID precautions. But that uh, person comes and drops you off. You come in and our excellent team of nurses gets everybody settled in, answers uh, early questions, ensures that uh, everything has been done to prepare for the test, that everything is safe, that we have a good understanding of the medical history and anything that might uh, interfere with or increase the risk of the test is uncovered beforehand. Medications are reviewed. All those things are covered. And then you would meet the anesthesiologist, at least here at Emerson Hospital. These exams are all done with an anesthesiologist, keeping the patient comfortable and also monitoring the patient for safety. So you meet that person, go through what's to be expected for the medication that's going to keep you comfortable, and then you'd meet me or the other gastroenterologists, the other wonderful gastroenterologists here at Emerson. I'll take excellent care of people, and they would come and introduce themselves, explain the last pieces that are left yet to be understood, answer any lingering questions, and then we proceed to the room. You get some medication and go to sleep, and from your perspective, you wake up a little while later in the recovery room, and I come and tell you what happened. From my perspective, that's really when the sort of action starts. Once you're asleep, the camera goes in. It's obviously inserted through your anus into your rectum. And then it proceeds to be advanced all the way to the end of the colon, the beginning part of the colon, and the sort of usual progression of activity through the colon. Obviously, things start at the beginning on the side that's closer to your mouth and end at the end that's closer to your anus. On the far end is the connection with the small intestine and the appendix. And so that's when we reach the end of the exam is when we get to those pieces. And then we slowly remove the scope, remove the camera, and look around on our way out 
get a really good look, try to you know peek behind all the folds and kind of crevices and places where things could hide inside the colon. And obviously, if we do find polyps, we remove them. It's, uh, it's a, a pretty straightforward. It adds a few moments to the exam. And there are a few different techniques for removing polyps, but in general, that happens pretty quickly and pretty harmlessly. And those are removed and sent off to the pathology lab for analysis. The pathologist will let us know what type of growth they were. Were they precancerous or not? Were they one of those sort of advanced type of lesions that we were describing earlier that maybe has undergone some more changes a little farther along in the process of turning into colon cancer? And then with that information, we can come out initially and tell you, okay, here's what we found. The final analysis will come from pathology. And then down the road, maybe a week or so later when we get that information, we would communicate with you to say, okay, the analysis is done. Here's what we found one more time. Here's what it actually showed and turned out to be. And based on that, we recommend that you have another colonoscopy in 10 years. It's average risk. Nothing's changed. We'll see you in 10 years for your screening test. Or you had a few polyps. Maybe they were higher risk. We'll see you in three years or five years or something like that. Well, doctor, a lot of great information today, a really comprehensive approach, and you covered everything, the different screening options, when maybe a colonoscopy is indicated or preferred, the importance of knowing medical and family history, and and so many other things. Such great information. Thank you so much for your time, and you stay well. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Great talking to you. Take care. Go to emersongi.org or reach Concord Gastroenterology Associates at 978-287-3835 for more information or to make an appointment. And thanks for listening to Emerson's HealthWorks Here podcast. I'm Scott Webb. And make sure to catch the next episode by subscribing to the HealthWorks Here podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts can be heard.